Thank you, Lorenzo. Um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles uh, this morning, please, uh, to 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll get there in, in just a second. Uh, before we do, uh, usually on this holiday weekend, I have Lorenzo preach because I anticipate nobody's going to be here, but that's just a joke anyway. Um, and, but I'm here this weekend, and I appreciate uh, y'all being patient with Vicki and I last week as we went uh, on a retreat uh, to Beaufort, South Carolina, and uh, we just uh, met and talked and worked through some things that we really needed to talk and work through. So my trip to Puerto Rico was canceled. There was a tropical depression down there and, and low enrollment, so we just put that off until January, and uh, we went on a retreat in that sense. Secondly, um, in the pews around you, um, there's, a, there's a Hope Connect card. If you would want to share your information with us on that, feel free to do that. More importantly, though, on the back side, there's a place where you can put prayer requests. And we have folks on Wednesdays that come together and pray for these requests. So please, please fill them out. I appreciate, um, as Leonard expressed, those of you that support the ministry of this church and, and all that's involved there, and, and we want to thank you for that. Whether it's through prayer or giving, we want to thank you for that. So, if you watch the news, uh, oh, one final thing. I, I appreciate the worship team uh, kind of find, found out at the last minute that Deanna was not going to be able to be here to lead worship today, and uh, Michael is working, who plays keyboards, and so I appreciate you guys for just stepping in and, and leading us in worship today, and uh, yeah, um, and I'm telling you that the technology was working great at 1025, and then 1030 hits, and and I know, I know I did. And for those of you that are watching online, Facebook or YouTube or whatever, um, we, we just, we, we never know technologically if it's going to work or not. So, but we appreciate your patience. Um, but we're here to worship. Amen? Amen. So before I read the scripture, I'd uh, just like to share an observation with you. And maybe you've seen it. Uh, I, I saw a joke this week that said, if you're the child of a preacher or a comedian, you are subject material uh, for conversations. And I know we have at least one PK here this morning and others that, uh, I, don't, I don't know if any of you are children of comedians, but, um, you know, often individuals, uh, children who are the children of pastors or leaders, uh, can kind of take for granted their role and often get into trouble. Have you noticed that? Uh, there's all kinds of jokes about pastors' kids. Uh, my father was a Marine, and I knew that if I got in trouble, he got in trouble, right? Uh, and so that was a motivating factor for me. It didn't motivate my sister at all, but it motivated me uh, to not get my dad in trouble. But we see in the news all the time, that politicians, kids, right, they get in trouble. There's, a, there's one in the news just about every day now that we are hearing about and, and things that are involved. And, and sometimes people who have lots of money, their children have, a, and I know you can't relate to that at all this morning, but people, so we'll talk about them. People that have lots of money, their children sometimes take for granted and access that. I love Shaquille O'Neal who t tells a story that... Um, his son was talking to him about 
his dad should buy him a new car. And Shaquille said, well, how, how is that going to happen? And his son said, well, dad, we've got lots of money. You can just buy me a car. And Shaquille said, no, no, son, you don't understand. I have lots of money. You have no money at all. <laughs> and you're going to have to earn your money if you're going to buy a car. And that is intentional parenting on his part to not create the scenario that I'm talking about. Now, I'm going to make a connection to that illustration in just a second, but before I do, I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves or servants. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I pray that in the proclamation of your word, that you would open our hearts that we might hear individually for ourselves and not for somebody else. I pray that we might be different when we leave this place, having been drawn closer in our relationship to you, but also to each other. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we ask that you speak to us. Amen. So, as a review, and you'll see how this makes sense as we move forward, we talked about, first of all, that you and I have upon us as followers of Christ a sacred call. We talked about the fact that you and I are created in the image of God, and uh, that affects how we relate to other people, but how we understand ourselves as well. We talked about how that image is marred, uh, through sin and rebelliousness, and how Jesus is restoring the image of God within us. And that image has to do with righteousness and holiness and uh, living a per and, and through acquiring knowledge of who God is, but also knowledge in the general sense. We establish in that that besides that sacred calling and being created in the image of God, uh, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, all of us as humans. There's something very unique and special, and God has called us in that sacred calling to be holy, to be transformed by the Spirit of God and God in our lives. Uh, also, we were reminded in all of that that you and I are what the Bible calls a royal priesthood, that we... Uh, can intercede on behalf of others as ambassadors for Christ. We don't need a priest or a pastor or anyone for us to communicate with God, and that, that calls us to being 
priests and priestesses in our homes and our families and in every way doing what God has called us to do. And we have been given all of that and we've been called in that way. And also we have been sacredly gifted. God gives each of us as the spirit of God dwells in us spiritual gifts that have been given to us so that we might serve. Now, just get this picture and apply it to the illustration I shared at the beginning. If we have been given all of these things, God has gifted us, God has called us, he created us in his image, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, we're awesome, we're wonderful, and he's restoring that distorted image in us, if we are part of God's family, right, we're adopted into that family, then it seems to me that we would not be like privileged children who blow off the gifts of the Father and demand our rights, but rather that we would be a people who lead and live sacred lives. Does that make sense to you? It's not difficult to understand. We've been given so much. And yet, in the culture that we live in, it's all about us. It's all about our rights. It's all about our demands. It's all about being entertained. It's all about all of those kinds of things. Instead of understanding that once we walked in darkness, but now we walk in light, and the one who has placed us in the light deserves to be honored by our lives. So, what does that kind of life look like. So let's take a little journey. We're going to look at some scriptures this morning. I'm going to slip into teach mode a little bit and go to Second uh, Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And then Peter kind of reviews a few things that we've talked about with different words and then tells us how we're to live. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So that statement reviews four weeks of sermons. We know how to live and he's empowering us to live this way. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. We have the promises that when he calls us to be and do something, he equips us. God never asks us to do something or be something where he doesn't empower us and equip us to live in that way. Participating in the divine nature is a reference to that I'm not God and you're not God, but we're created in the image of God and Christ is restoring that image in us. And that's how we participate as we are restored. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are a what? New creation in Christ Jesus. So this is what he says. This is how you do it. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. What's the next word? I'm in NIV. Goodness. And to goodness add knowledge. 
and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance or patience, and to perseverance or patience, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Again, referencing the new life that we have. Now, as I look at that list, I noticed something. You know, there's a, there's a saying that the military uses and, and that I've been coached on, and yeah, even at my age, I still have a coach that's speaking into my life so that I might grow in grace. But anyway, the saying is, and if I, you know, I use triangles sometimes, at the top, information, at the bottom, imitation, and then going out, um, innovation, right? God, us, and others. But often what we want to do is we want to go from information to innovation immediately. I see this all the time uh, with pastors and individuals um, that I do deal with. They want information and they just want to take it and use it themselves, but they miss the imitation. Why am I saying that? Because in this passage, as you add one thing to another, it all builds to love. But in our society, in our culture, we want to start with love. Everybody loves everything. Everybody loves everybody. But y'all, listen, love without goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection, brotherly love, is nothing but a clanging bell, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you just go to love and you have no foundation, because how do you spell love? I've spelled love before. You know how to spell love? It's not L-O-V-E. It's, how do you spell commitment? I don't know if there's two M's or not. C-O-M-M-I-T-T-M-E-N-T. Love is spelled commitment. You don't have commitment if you don't have those other things. If you start with love, it's an emotional or physical response to another human that doesn't last over time. This culture these days and dating and all that kind of stuff, and, and, I, and I teach at the college, I hear it all the time, and we have this philosophy that, well, you know, I'm just dating, and, and the idea is try before you buy. Everybody wants to check stuff out and try stuff out to see if they're physically compatible with another person, and there's nothing lasting in that. There's nothing secure in that. You don't stay in those kind of relationships very long because they become possessive and they become ownership issues. And so, as God's children, called by Him, selected by Him, transformed by Him, we are called to live in this way. Well, there's another passage that's interesting. It's, it's, it's not dissimilar, but it has to do with our minds. Go to Philippians Philippians, go back to the left. Philippians chapter 4. Y'all have heard this before. Paul, writing to the Philippians, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And so again, we see this principle. Um, he's saying to you and to me, this is how you're to think. And if you're not sure about how to live, he says, imitate him. Now, it's kind of hard for us to imitate Paul as he was imitating Jesus, but we can imitate each other as we see godly behavior. And so I, at my age, have individuals that mentor and coach me, and I imitate their behavior. Even at my age, I learned, I'm learning something as I get older. It's not how much I know, right? It's, it's how much I don't know. How, how much I still need to understand and still need to learn and attempting to be teachable and a forever learner. But put it into practice. Now again, uh, you are called to do that. Not the person sitting next to you, not the person sitting behind you or in front of you, you as an individual, I as an individual, are called to put these things into practice. But let's go to one other place, Galatians chapter 5. And by the way, it's kind of hard to think about purity and good things and lovely things if we subject ourselves to media and books and other things that are filled with nonsense. Um, it's amazing, um, Galatians chapter 5, it's amazing uh, to me uh, how when you're listening, and I love music, I love movies, I love watching television and stuff, it's just how I'm wired, but sometimes the, the, the language, it, it's, as though, it's as though the F word is the only word that is used in today's world and culture. It, it's like, and after a while you just kind of get numb to it, but then if you're not careful, you find yourself speaking what goes into your ears. You know what I'm saying? And so it's important for us to rework and rewire our minds as we're as, as exposed to our culture by limiting that exposure, yes, but most importantly, by reading God's word, by spending time alone with Jesus in prayer and listening to his voice. But And I've said to you, uh, how many minutes a day should you read scripture? Some of you remember? What did I say? 15 minutes a day, okay? And some of you are going, that preacher, he just told his people to read scripture 15 minutes a day. How good is that? Well, it's better than nothing. Amen. It's better than not reading the scripture, number one. And number two, if you are not reading the word and, and, and you start reading 15 minutes a day, guess what's going to happen? You're going to read more because you, in reading God's word as he transforms your mind, you're going to be moved to read more. 
of the word and spending time with God and thinking and contemplating because remember, he is transforming you to his image and he's transforming your, your ability to gain knowledge, knowledge of him, but also knowledge and understanding from his word. So Galatians 5 says this, and let's, let's there, this, this whole chapter is, is amazing, and uh, I'm going to save that for another time. And he, 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 he compares the acts of the flesh and the, and the fruit of the Spirit. So let's go in verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Okay. Are the acts of the flesh obvious to us? Well, yeah. Yeah, but, but we live in a world that says it feels good, do it. We live in a world that says, um, well, the most important thing is for you to be happy. The most important thing is to have your needs, whatever kinds of needs, satisfied. But the scripture calls these acts of the flesh and calls them as obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hate, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage or anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And y'all, we are living in a time in history when the things that I just described to you are good, are described as good. And if you do not participate in those activities, you're made fun of and you're chastised. Be really difficult to be a high school student or a college student these days and to live a life uh, that is godly. So the life described in verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law saying you cannot love. There's no law that says you cannot experience joy, which is not happiness. Joy is rated deep inside of you, and it's, and it's your view of life. You can be joyful in the midst of suffering. Peace. There's no law against peace. There's no law against forbearance or hanging in there, and our society quits way too easily these days. Kindness. There's no law against kindness. There's no law against goodness. There's no law against faithfulness. Imagine a law against faithfulness in relationships. There's no law against gentleness. There's no law against self-control. You are completely free. Yeah, but the Bible restricts my activities. It tells me all these things I can't do. It tells me I can't be sexually immoral. It tells me I can't be impure. It tells me I can't participate in debauchery. It tells me I can't do idolatry and witchcraft and on and on and on. But look at the other side of the coin. The fruit that's available to us as followers of Jesus. And by the way, this fruit is not of our own activity. This fruit is, is not of our own engineering. This fruit is the fruit of what? 
the Spirit of God working in our lives. So as you go through that add-to list that we first read, and as you go to that list of things to think on, fueled by the Word of God, and as you surrender, Romans chapter 12, right? Present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. And be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so as you surrender, as you give yourself to, to the Christ life, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. Christ transforms you and makes you into a new creation. And so it's possible for us to live this way as we are transformed by the Spirit of God. I, I want to suggest to you that this is not instantaneous in everyone. In fact, it's, it's not instantaneous. It's instantaneous in hardly anyone. It's, it's a life of process of being shaped and molded by God. Hopefully, you're not the same person today that you were five years ago. There are things that you might have done five years ago that you wouldn't think of doing today because God is transforming you and making you into a new creation. Now, there's another level to this life that God has called us to that is an outward focus. Because all of these things, all of these transformations that God calls us to inwardly and personally are not done to just make us fat and happy in the spirit. You know I'm going to go here. God does in us that we might express that life in other people. And I want to apply this very specifically this morning because of the political environment that we live in today, I want you to see what God has called us to. These not, are not intended to be political statements, but biblical statements that will shape how we minister as followers of Jesus in our culture and society. So Isaiah chapter 1, and we're going to go down to... The end of the chapter, specifically, verse 16. He challenges the Israelites, and the end of his argument is their hands are full of blood. And then he says, verse 16, Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Stop doing wrong. Why would God call us to that if it's not possible for us, okay? Verse 17, learn to do right. Seek justice. Seek justice. How do we seek justice? Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. In other words, those who are struggling in our culture and society we as a church are to minister to them. The early church was recognized for its love because of how it ministered to people in the midst of oppression and plague, not in how they acquired uh, material blessing for themselves as the proof of the blessing of God in their lives. Let's take this a little further. Micah. Chapter 6, verse 8. We've, I've preached this passage a million times. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. 
And what does the Lord desire of thee but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We, we went to a thing recently and, and Vic got a t-shirt and on the t-shirt it says, do justice, love mercy, but it leaves out the walk humbly part. Because the people that produced it were not comfortable calling their oppressed tribe, their group of people who are oppressed in culture to walk humbly. But as followers of Christ, as God's children, you and I are called to this kind of life, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. This is the life that God has called us to. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. James, let's go to the writings of the brother of Jesus, James chapter 1. Scroll all the way down if you're on your phones. If you're not, turn in your, in your uh, Bibles. And James is hard to deal with because he's challenging religious people. And he says, uh, to those who consider themselves, verse 26, to those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves. And the religion is worthless. Uh, Vicky bought a kitchen towel the other day and said, if it's a prayer request, it's not gossip. But it's just a, a joke about something that's kind of common in the church. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You are called to a life, and that life that you and I are called to is a life that engages others, that sees others in time of difficulty and calls us into action. At some other time, I shared, shared the illustration of a an event that happened to me, but we have some new folks that are here, so I can share this illustration again, and you won't, you won't remember it anyway, because it was a while ago, but um, when I was in my very first church, um, and I still struggle with this, you know, I have an addiction to Coke Zero and Diet Coke and stuff, and we won't go into that, but um, anyway, um, and I, there was a 7-Eleven near the church, and I went there all the time, constantly. On this one occasion, it was late at night, and I had my son with me. My son, Aaron, would travel with me. Remember, I, at the beginning, if you're a preacher's kid, you're going to be using illustrations. So this is the Aaron illustration. And uh, Aaron is now in his 40s. He gave me permission to share this. But anyway, um, so we're, we're in there, and, we're, and he comes in with me to 7-Eleven. I think he came with me because I was getting him a Slurpee. That was the deal. Yeah, he... <laughs> He would go any, I still give Slurpees to my grandkids. It's, I know it's bad for him, but I don't care. I'm grandpa. All right, whatever happens in my pickup truck happens in my pickup. But anyway, it's forgotten and left there. So uh, we go in and he gets his Slurpee and 
Uh, I get my Diet Coke, uh, the biggest size they've got. And uh, a man walks in the door, and there's a lady behind the checkout counter, and she's a Vietnamese lady. How do I know that? Because I view myself as a pastor, that I'm the pastor of the city, not a church. And so when I go into a store or a place of business or whatever, I try to get to know the people that work there, and I knew her. And I, and I knew some of her story. I've been going in there for, uh, for years, literally, at this point in time. And so I'm, I'm in there, and she's a little tiny lady, and this guy walks in, and he's intoxicated. He's intoxicated. And he goes, and he gets a six-pack, and uh, he plops it on the counter, and she looks at him. He's about 6'3", and she says to him, Sir, I can't serve you. You're intoxicated. And he gets all belligerent, and he gets in her face. And he starts yelling at her, and he starts calling her names and saying, You can't deny me. You know, I'm an American. You, know, you get the point of the conversation. I'm an American. You're not an American because you're Vietnamese. And he's going on and on and yelling at her, and I finally... You know, I'm there with my son, and then it's the same as now. You never know who you're dealing with. And I just basically walked up to him, and I said, Sir, the lady said that um, she can't serve you. At that time, we had built a new building. I weighed 250 pounds. I had been placing concrete blocks on the scaffolding for the guys laying blocks, and I was in pretty good shape. But, but most of my weight was fat. It was not muscle, just letting you know. <laughs> But I, I look big, if you can imagine me at 250 pounds. Um, and I just kind of stood there and he said, who are you? Who are you to tell me what I'm allowed to do? He's intoxicated, right? He's acting like an idiot. And I stood there and I just walked a little bit closer to him. And I said, sir, the lady can't serve you because you're intoxicated. And he yelled at me again and I said, sir, the lady can't serve you because you're intoxicated. My son is standing next to me, he's about 10 years old. And I don't, I, I, for some time, I, I'd like to ask him what he saw, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I was terrified. Because I knew that if he lit into me in his drunken state, he would put me on the floor and I'd be wasted and, you know, it would be a mess. And yet, the Spirit of God calls us in situations like that to stand up for those who are oppressed, to stand up for those who are being treated that way. Do you, do you understand? It wasn't an issue of my courage. It wasn't an issue of me being a good guy. No, the Spirit of God demanded that I stand between that woman and that man and tell him to leave the place of business. And so he left the beer there and turned around and walked out and I, why did she make me pay for my drink? I actually paid for my, anyway. So I pay, paid for the drinks and we got in the car and what I didn't think was that something more could happen here and something more did happen here. I got in my car and so, you know, aggressive driving isn't a new thing. It's been around for a while. And so I got into my car and I don't have any idea what kind of car it was at that time. And, and my son and I drove, we were going home, but going towards the church, and that guy got right up behind me on my bumper with his lights off, telling me, I'm going to take care of you. So as I drove down the street, uh, and this was awesome, it occurred to me, oh, yeah, 
the church is right around the corner. So I just pulled into the church parking lot and pulled under the, the canopy, the drive through to the church, and just kind of sat there with my flashers on. And when he saw the church property, he drove away. God is calling us, y'all, to a life that honors the Father that doesn't take advantage of all the gifts that the Father has given us. Let me close with this illustration. It's something that I've been writing and working on. It's called Change the World. You know, Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see. But I just want to give you this illustration. In Beaufort, um, South Carolina, and uh, this event is, is a metaphor. It didn't actually happen to me. It occurred to me. So envision a man walking down the street, and it's a Friday afternoon, and as he's walking down the street, it's Cataray Street, or Cataret Street in Beaufort, South Carolina. He's walking down the street towards the bridge, and, um, and as he's walking down the street, he notices a cigarette pack against the wall of a, of a restaurant on the sidewalk. It was Pall Malls. Do they still sell those? I don't know. But anyway, Pall Malls. You remember those Pall Malls? Unfiltered, right? I'm sure they still sell them. Anyway, all right, so it's Pall Mall pack. And he's walking towards the bridge, and he just notices. It's Friday, he just notices. So he goes on his walk on Saturday, and he, and he sees that pack of Pall Mall cigarettes again. He says, you know, somebody ought to pick up that pack that Pall Mall cigarette pack. Somebody ought to pick that up. And he goes down, he does his little walk up the bridge, and he comes back. And on Sunday, he sees that Pall Mall pack, and now he's angry. He's agitated. And he says, you know, if nobody picks up, this is inside his head, but I'm a preacher. If nobody picks up that pack of cigarettes by Monday morning, I'm calling the city. I'm going to get on to them. We pay city workers to clean up the streets, and they're not doing their jobs, and somebody needs to be called into account. See, that's, that's, we're Americans, right? That's what we do. We, make, we pay people to clean up the streets, make them beautiful. So Monday comes, and guess what? The pack of Palm Malls is still there. But he looks up, and there's an old man walking towards him. And as the old man shuffles towards him, kind of walking like this, the old man looks down, and he sees a pack of Pall Malls. And he walks over to the Pall Malls, and he bends down, and he picks up the pack of Pall Malls. He could tell there was no cigarettes in there. He wasn't doing it to get the cigarettes. And then he walks over to the garbage can, which was on the other side of the sidewalk, and he puts the Pall Mall pack in the garbage can, and then he turns around and he walks away. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Do you get the illustration? We're angry, we're upset, we see all the craziness that's going on in the world around us, but we want to pay people to take care of the problems. We want our taxes, our rights, our demands. Y'all, you and I as followers of Jesus have no business being angry all the time. 
We have no business protesting the way that we're protesting. We have every business empowered by the Spirit of God to pick up the cigarette pack, to do something, expressing the Spirit of God living within our lives. You and I are children of the King. We're adopted into the family. We're a royal priesthood. We're chosen by God. We're transformed by the Spirit of God. We who walked in darkness now walk in light. And God says, live like children of the light. Do light things. Lay your anger aside. Lay your rights aside. Lay your hostility aside. And let love reign. Amen? Let's pray together. Amen. Father God, I, I thank you for your word and its clarity.